0: Welcome into Think Deeper. I am your co-host, Will Harib, joined by Jack and Joe Wilkie. We're excited to uh, be back for another episode, for another week of Think Deeper. Before we get into today's topic, I'm going to have Jack get us into that here in just a second. want to let everybody know that we are back uh, for the new year with a new version of what we call Think Fast. We have done that. We have done some of those on YouTube addressing big cultural topics that we don't want to devote a full podcast episode to. Um, again, we've been doing those on YouTube, but we wanted to do a new format that was a bit more interactive for those uh, who are on Facebook. And so, if you didn't know it already, every Thursday night from here on out, unless something crazy happens at 7 p.m. Central uh, Standard Time, we are going to be doing Think Fast live on Facebook. And so. Uh, if you want to put that on your calendars, mark it down. If you're uh, got time, seven o'clock on Thursday nights. What we really want to do with this again is to use the live feature. Make it to be where uh, people can you can uh, comment, you can add your thoughts. We might try to do some some polls, some things like that to, that are very interactive. But we want to again, we we want this outlet where we can address cultural things cultural issues we already did our first one uh this past week and you can check that out on facebook and then we're going to be uploading the, uploading those to youtube as well but just wanted to make you aware that that is going to be the format moving forward for think fast we're excited about that um, but i don't think we have anything else we need to let you guys know about so with that let's just go ahead and jump right into today's episode jack if you want to take us away on that
1: yeah we want to talk this week about the christian and uh, i guess the whole spectrum of emotion um Emotion is something that every human deals with, and and you know we're all prone towards some or the other: sadness, anger, uh, happiness, and uh, anxiety, worry, things like that. And it's it's things that we live with every day. Um, you know the frustration that we deal with. You know I'm, I'm a parent of we we joke a lot about how many uh, kids there are between the three of us. Sometimes that frustration sets in. You think what do I do with this? Sometimes there's an anger that can set in towards the world, towards other people, towards. Uh, just, uh, do we have to be happy all the time? There's kind of the, the stoic impulse that says just kind of be very level, no highs, no lows. So what does the Christian do? And so we're going to look at, we're going to, I'm going to lay out the outline here. We're going to look at some of those different emotions first of all, and then we're going to make specific application as to, as Christians, when, how do we use these in the right way, the wrong way? Um, How do we not shy away from them and pretend that we're robots? I think that's one of the things that some people think being a Christian means is, you know, being, and even in the way sometimes we comfort those who are mourning and sad is, well, you know, don't be too sad, you know, stay happy all the time. Well, I don't think the Bible shows us that. I think we've got things like the Psalms that show the spectrum of emotions. And so as Christians, we need to understand that in order to better control ourselves, you know, bring ourselves under self-control to to be who God wants us to be, to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. We're going to bring up a lot of scriptures like that in this one. Um, Jack,
0: the perfect illustration to what you're talking about here is walk into a worship service on a yeah. Sunday morning. Yeah. And just, so just true. observe the, the lack of emotion. And again, it's almost as if we don't want to like overstep our bounds. And like we think there's some, you know, boundary that we can't show emotion here in these places. And so that's kind of... Not just worship, obviously, but that's kind of the, the thought that got us started with this episode. So, Joe, I think you're going to get us into this first one, and that is anger that we're going to be talking about.
2: Yeah, I think there is a discussion that needs to be had along the lines of what is righteous anger versus sinful anger. I work with a lot of clients who suppress their anger. They they um, try not to feel it at all. They try not to let it out in the least, but then at you know, time goes and they explode. And they end up having what they call an anger problem, quote unquote. Man, I just get so angry at my kids. And they think that the the way to handle that is by shutting down the rest of the anger. That's what I need to do is I just need to stop being angry. And the reality is it's okay to be angry. It's what we do with it. And the reason why they're struggling so much with the anger is because they don't let it out. They don't let it out. They don't let it out. It bottles up and then it spills over at the smallest things. I always illustrate it like a water bottle that if you have very little at the top, all it takes is one or two drops for that to start um, spilling over. Well, what does that tell you? The rest of that underneath is unprocessed emotion and a lot of times unprocessed anger. So we villainize and, and talk about how bad anger is. You shouldn't get angry. But the Bible says, be angry and do not sin. What does that tell us? It's okay to be angry. It's how we go about using the anger. It, it talks about, don't let the sun go down on your anger. What does that imply? You will get angry, but what are you going to do with it? How do you take care of the anger? How do you how do you handle that? And so, on the one hand, what's, what's bad about anger? It leads us to screaming at our kids and, and screaming at our spouse. It leads us to cutting people off in traffic. It leads us to... Um, Hatred to rebellion to bitterness, all sorts of things. That's not good. How is it that we explore, and Jack, I'll kick it to you here, how do we explore the idea of righteous anger? What does that look like?
1: Yeah, it's, you brought up Ephesians 4.26. Uh, you kind of quoted both sides of that there. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. And that giving the devil an opportunity, the, the Proverbs really flesh that out of what anger opens us up to. Um, the harsh word stirs up anger, uh, the, you know, that anger leads to bad decision making, leads to treating other people poorly. Of course, Jesus talks about being angry with your brother in, uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Um, and he comes back around to, uh, in, in just a few verses later in Ephesians four thirty one. let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And I, I think what's being implied here is you are going to get angry. It is natural to get angry what happens next you are in control of. And you see people say, oh, well, you know, I did that, but they made me so angry. Like, they did, and somebody else was responsible maybe for if they did push you so far, but what you do in response to it is your thing. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about righteous anger because I think there's also a separate for defending the house of the Lord, like Jesus did, of, of standing up for the right things, that anger is very useful in that sense. And so if you reject it entirely, the idea that Christians should should ever get angry, well, you're separating us from a very useful emotion God gave us. We are supposed to get angry sometimes, but we're not supposed to just become slaves to the anger. We're supposed to channel that immediately so it doesn't run the wrong direction.
2: Interestingly, the people that are that say that the most we shouldn't be should never get angry are typically the most angry. Are they not? I, I don't to know. me, those I, I'm that, not
1: going to say anything because I don't want to make them angry. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I, I think too, though. To some extent,
0: there's a bit of this that makes my mind go to certain people that you hear that phrase, they have a short fuse, right? That they have a, I don't know if, if higher disposition is the right phrase, a, a more likely of a tendency to get angry. And I don't know if that might be, play into a part of this as well, is that, you know, anger in and of itself, again, we're going to get into righteous anger here in just a second, is not wrong. But you do have people that, similar to the, we talked about a few episodes ago, they kind of have a natural disposition to be grumpy or to be bitter or, you know, that type of thing. Some people have a very short fuse and have a very difficult time controlling their anger. Stuff gets to them just really easily and really quickly. And so when you're trying to, I guess, kind of rectify Ephesians 4 when he says, be angry and do not sin. And then the one that Jack just quoted in verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath and anger, uh, clamor, evil speaking, be put away from you. I don't know. Does that make sense? Does, Does that have something to do with it? That it's more of a, how quick are you to get angry? you know, what is it that's actually setting you off to be angry? Are you somebody who that's kind of like a last resort? and You really have to get under your skin to get angry? Or are you somebody who, again, short fuse at the drop of a hat, you're getting angry?
2: I think that putting anger far from you is going back and understanding what is it that's really making you angry. So I was talking with a client recently who, you know, struggles with getting angry toward her kids. And it turns out that she has struggled with rejection in the past. And sometimes when her kids do certain things, it kind of triggers some of those feelings of rejection. And so is she really angry at her kids or is she angry at some of the people that have rejected her, that have really hurt her in the past and caused a lot of emotional wounds? Well, a little bit of both, but the kids is just a small microcosm. So when it says put anger far from you, in my opinion, that's going back and understanding there are things that made me legitimately angry that got me super ticked, but I have never really dealt with them. I've never... and, And so... I push that aside. oh, it's fine, it's fine. It wasn't that big a deal. And then we find ourselves getting angry at the smallest of things going, I have an anger problem. No, what you need to go back and do is take care of the, the thing that initially made you that angry. Go back and process what happened and say, maybe what's underneath anger, and this is always the case, anger is a surface level emotion. Maybe what's underneath anger is hurt or is fear. Those are two, there's frustration, sure, but I think the anger is always a surface level and underneath is hurt or fear that needs to be processed. So from a therapy perspective, in putting anger from you, my opinion is figure out what's making you that angry and deal with it. Process it, work through it, and then you find yourself a lot less angry because it's not triggering you in the same ways. I understand that's, I don't know, that's that's therapist Joe speaking, but I do think these things blend together in Ephesians 4 as you're referencing, I think is a, um, it is where I would go to explain that. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, meaning find out what made you angry and go take care of it. Does that make sense? Sure, sure.
1: I think you can pair in there Romans twelve eighteen of if possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Um, you know, Jesus talking about if, if you remember your brother has something against you, leave your sacrifice and go make it right with them. Or if you have something against your brother, go to them. Um, like, make sure you're keeping an eye on these things and not letting something carry you away. And... and do whatever you can to be at peace with people, and there's going to be a point at which you can't, and that's okay, that's on them, and you've kind of let it out of your hands, and so, we're talking about the negative sides, I want to use, or get to the positive side of anger, but first I want to get to some of the practicals, you brought up getting angry with your kids, getting angry with your spouse, you know, uh, I mean, just, uh, you're that close to somebody emotionally, there's going to be that clash every now and then, and so, Keeping anger out of that because, I mean, we sing the song, angry words, let them never from the, because like you say something you didn't want to say. You hurt and you leave a wound that's going to last a long time. That's not okay. And so that would be uh, an instance, uh, as you said, with your kids. um, Man, driving in the car. That's one of the ones where it's easy to kind of let ourselves, really anything where we are shielded from the direct, face-to-face consequences of seeing what our vitriol does to behind somebody. Behind our keyboard? That's where I was going next. Behind our keyboard, social media, man. And I've even been there where times I am like setting land speed records for how fast <laughs> I can type because like, I can't believe you said that. Oh, man, I'm, I'm going to rip you a new one and rip your head off. I'm going to hurt you is kind of the point I'm getting at here. And... That's not okay either. And so uh, in the workplace, You, I mean, there might be somebody, that your boss, a co-worker, who is, just drives you crazy. And every time you drive home from work or you get done at the end of the day, you stew on them for 23 minutes. I can't believe that person. I can't believe that person. Or what about
0: your fellow brother or sister in Christ, like within, within congregations, getting, getting angry
1: at, at people like that? I remember somebody once asking me in a Bible class, and the, the awkward thing was everyone knew who they were talking about because they were at odds with somebody <laughs> there, of... Would it be okay to just come to church and not talk to a certain person? Like, oh, no. I, like, read these verses. If your brother has something against you, you shouldn't even be worshiping God until you go make that right. And so, like you said, your fellow Christian, there are a million... Uh, anger at the world. I, I think uh, that's something we run into a lot. We talk about how messed up the world is right now. I get emails from people and, and talk to people about stuff who are just angry at the world. And uh, that drifts into the righteous anger. There is a place for that. But man, if it's eating you up... You got to do something about that. You got to take care of that and and put things in God's hands and let let it go.
2: That's a very interesting point you're making. That and so let's talk about. It. Let's kind of get into the nitty gritty there. Of we can have righteous anger, but we can't let that permeate every part of our life. People that are very plugged in politically, I find, um, struggle with this because they sure. do have righteous anger. They're they're seeing what's actually taking place politically, and that's really tough, right? Um, things aren't good. Are they right to be angry about the state of the world? Are they right to be angry at things like um, abortion, things like the LGBTQ movement? Yes, they are. I think that's righteous anger. I think that's Jesus driving the money changers out and saying... Well,
1: and when Jesus said certain people should have a millstone hung around their neck and thrown into the sea, like... That's that, not a happy thought. That was not thought. a pat on the back. Yeah, yeah. That, that's not a, a pleasant thing. That That is driven from a righteous anger of God loves other people and you are tripping them up. You know, you're a stumbling block. And, and I'm sorry, somebody who is changing a 12 year old's gender with surgery and hormones they are the person who deserves that kind of treatment it's okay to be angry at those people but like you say our expression what we do with is is very important so
2: how do we feel that without letting that permeate without letting that become part of us and become a um a stumbling block for ourselves where we can feel we can still feel angry about um whatever is taking place in the world but it doesn't seep in so to speak how do we do that
1: I, I was reading something by an author today, and he was taking on this question of, like, you know, let's let's be realistic. It is as bad as you think it is. You know, mm-hmm. again, the, the trans stuff, the, uh, the economic stuff. I mean, people are in a really bad spot, and, and just the morality of our country, and I, anything you want to list, there's a lot to be angry about right now, and righteously angry about it. And so, what can you do about it? Well, first of all, there's not that much we can do about things on a grand scale, put it in God's hands, pray to him. I mean, there's a reason there are imprecatory psalms. There are times where David and others were praying, God, stop these people, stop the evil people, because it's important that God, and we trust that God will bring justice where justice is needed. So pray for those things, leave the things in God's hands that are in God's hands, but then the point he got at is, and make sure you're maximizing the things that are in your hands. So Joe and I were just talking about the other day, the times where we are most angry, frustrated, you know, harsh, rude, whatever with our wife and kids, our wives and kids are the times where we're not doing our job, where I'm letting down on my part of the chores. I'm not staying disciplined with the kids. I'm not, you know, applying myself to those things. And then when they don't, I'm frustrated because it happened because I wasn't doing my job. And then I take it out on them. So when you look at the world, how are you repenting? How are you shielding your family from all of this evil? How are you serving your church and evangelizing and all these things? Do what you can as a positive channel for that. The anger is a positive thing depending on how you channel
0: it. That's what I was going to say is, Joe, you bring up the person who reads, you know, the Drudge Report all day and just is really invested in, in politics and, and kind of dwells on that a lot. Typically, not to generalize, but typically those those people, that that's all they do, right? It's like, what are you doing about it? And so, like, my mind goes to Paul when he's writing the book of Galatians, for instance, and A lot of the things that he says, you know, again, he starts out uh, in verse 6 of chapter 1 where he says, look, how are you turning away so soon to a different gospel? In chapter 2, he's talking about how he had to call out Peter to his face. In chapter 3, what does he call him? Oh, foolish Galatians. You you think Paul was writing that in a very peaceful state of mind and just, no. I mean, Paul was angry, and Paul was angry for a reason. And so, but what was the key, especially with him writing the letter to the Galatians? What was he concerned about? He's concerned about their soul. And so I guess this one more so applies to if you get into something with maybe a fellow brother or sister in Christ, but even into the political realm or being having righteous anger towards the world, the question you need to ask yourself is what are you doing to spread God's love to the world? Obviously, you can't convert the whole world, whole world by yourself. That's not something that you're able to do. But are you just dwelling on your anger? Or are you just kind of stewing on your anger? Or are you actually taking, like Jack said, what you can control and trying to do something about it with your neighbors, with those who, who are outside of Christ that you know. Are you showing God's love in that way? Or are you just sitting around going, man, this world is just an awful place? And you know what I mean? What are you actually doing about it? And so prayer is a good one. Uh, again, serving others, doing what you can to to really just be concerned about their soul, I think plays into it as well.
2: I think those are all great points. I think from, a, from an individual perspective, then I'll come to that one. From an individual perspective, one of the things that I often work with is You want to expand your emotional vocabulary first off. Uh, I use motion wheels. But you also want to understand, especially from an anger point of view, kind of the scale. So you don't go 0 to 60. You don't go 1 to 10. You start feeling the the anger build. Okay, I'm at a 1. All right, I'm at a 3. I'm starting to get frustrated. Now I'm at a 5. I really need to do something about this. And it speaks to the other side of what you guys are saying, which is what can be done about it. So we can get upset. There's righteous anger toward the world and toward the things that, that are happening in the world. What can we do about it? And, and I would encourage our listeners sit down and make a list of the things that you currently have control over. If there's a lot of things you're angry at with the world, why? There may be something having to do with you know the injustice of it all? Absolutely. Is justice or rather injustice a key uh, point of your life, something that kind of reverberates a little more than a little more than the average person? Maybe you had something in your past that causes you to feel like the world is unjust. Things like that often come back into play. And so the emotions we feel about the world, I think we can have righteous anger. But what can we do about it? Finding a level of control um, is, in my opinion, one of the keys. I want to move on. Fellas, any other things you want to get into on anger? I want to move on uh, to our next one, which is that of sadness. And sadness is a, um, boy, this is, you talk about anger. People don't want to feel anger. They want to run from anger because of all the things that it can do that's bad. We don't have negative connotations with sadness per se in terms of what's wrong, but I think we really struggle to sit in this one. I was, I was talking with somebody recently about that seems to be such an Americanized like, I, and I, it may come from the American dream, kind of turn everything into a positive. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna find the silver lining. We're gonna get through this. This is gonna be great. Sometimes that's helpful, but sometimes it's important to just sit in the emotion and feel sad. It's like. I was thinking about this illustration. This may not be new or may not just be for me. Somebody else may use it, but um, it came to my mind of like, it's like taste buds. You have the bitter taste, but that's an acquired thing. Notice that some of the top restaurants in the world are those that experiment with the bitter taste buds. It's because it's an acquired taste. You don't just start drinking black coffee. You drink it really sweet because you're used to sweet. And then you slowly work your way where bitter, you start to appreciate it more. I find... Sadness is the exact same thing. Hurt and sadness are very much that bitter taste. That's uh, They are bitter, but kind of that bitter taste, like it's an acquired thing. We don't like sitting in it. We would rather everything be happy and sweet. But it's important as we kind of expand our palate to sit in sadness. It's
0: interesting that you bring that up because we're going to get into Jesus in the garden here in a second. But what about Jesus in John 11? What about Jesus when one of his best friends had died and he goes, it's the famous shortest verse in the Bible, right? The first verse I I memorized, Jesus wept. Why did he weep? He raises him from the dead, what, seven verses later? You know, did he really not did, did he not know he was gonna raise him from the dead? And so I think that perfectly illustrates your point that Jesus he kind of sat in the moment for a second. He he realized and, and you can argue That's that it was point. that it was more so what he saw the, the grief was doing to to the sisters, to, to Mary and to Martha. And so that made him sad, but but Again, he, he's about to raise him from the dead. You, you would expect of anybody, Jesus is going to be the one that's got the positive go lucky. Oh, don't worry about it, guys. I'm here to take care of it. No, he, he stayed in that sadness. Mm. He sat there, as you said. He, he lived in that sadness with those who thought that they were never going to see Lazarus again. Mary and Martha never thought they were going to see their brother again. And Jesus, rather than putting a bandaid on it real quick, saying, no, no don't worry, guys. I got it covered. What did he do? He wept with them. He stayed there with him. He talked with him. He prayed to God. And then, of course, performed one of the greatest miracles of all time. But I think that perfectly illustrates the point That's you're talking about.
2: That's a great... Weep with those who weep. That? that means you get down on their level. And how many people do we see in the church? Somebody gets sad. Somebody loses a loved one. Somebody has something tragic happen. And they want to come in and they want to make it better. They want to... Instead of just kind of doing they the job... fix friend, everything. Yeah, they right? want to fix everything. Fix it, Fox, right? Like, they... Instead of being Job's friends who end up being bad, but at least for the first week... They get it right. They sit with Job and they just weep and they grieve with him. That's so important. But so many times when we want to, and notice this for our listeners, and I have to check myself on this. When we, the first thing we think when somebody's feeling sad is let me come and fix it for them. Let me get them out of the sadness before I even sit down with them, before I even allow them to sit in it. Ask yourself, how well do you sit in your own emotions? Do you invite sadness in? Do you feel it? Because you're going to have a tough time weeping with those who weep. If you yourself are running from sadness in every area, and I think of your that's life. probably why we try to pull our friends and family out that's of right. sadness because we don't want to be anywhere close that's
1: to right. it. Right? We, we don't. don't do
2: well with it. Right. Well, right. you
1: see, like the humor as a as a shield thing. You know, trying to deflect. Sometimes So we'll true. Do that uh, the other thing you guys are kind of talking about is the silver lining thing. Is even if we're acknowledging the sadness, well, let's find something happy about it. Let's find a good that's going to come of it, and and that's where you get a lot of the like bad things. The the bad theology that comes out of funerals well god needed another angel no number one (laughs) we don't turn into angels number two that it doesn't help anybody their 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 spouse their parent their brother there's somebody's missing from their life that they will not see again in this life don't try and find the happy right now um i saw a thing uh where it was actually a football player was quoting this and it was one of those guru guys jocko willink so these guys say like a couple good things and then a million stupid things. And this is one of the stupid <laughs> things he did is anything that happens in life, your response should be, and, and he's got that voice, good. Well, you know, like, well, such and such happened. And so the football player was saying, you know, our coach showed us that. And, and so we think about it. I threw four interceptions in the game. Good. You know, you're going to learn from this. You're going to grow from this. You're going to, anything else happen. Mm-hmm. And, and so like you apply that to life of, well, I just lost my job. Good. This is going to teach me new skills. Teach me. And there's a little bit of value to that of, you know, like, something you, oh, know, like, you you get to the point where you move on yeah well, optimism is a good thing you can thing. wallow yeah. optimism is a good thing and and eventually you need to find the silver lining but it's okay to mourn for a little bit right. before sure. you start doing it and i mean because like think about all the ways you can apply it well i just got a serious medical diagnosis good like no right. like uh you know just got I, in a car wreck yeah dude. i just yeah. got in a car i'm gonna lose my house lose my job you know my spouse like my kids are sick my things that are totally out of my control and, and my world's coming crashing down good like no no, there's right. uh, the and again. Once you come through the low, walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's one of the promises of God being a good shepherd, is that He'll walk through the valley of shadow of death mm-hmm. with us. Not He'll keep us away from the valley of the shadow of death. So when you go through it, He'll be there with you. You're not going through Great there point. going, "Good, I can't believe I, I'm in the valley of the shadow of death." No, it's okay. You don't have to find the silver lining immediately. Now if, a couple weeks later, if you you know at later on, you can start pointing to, hey, God, because Romans 8.28 is that God makes all things work together for good. To our ultimate end, it will always end up in the good, but that doesn't mean in the moment we have to deflect all sadness and everything's good. It's not all good.
2: I was reading a book, uh, A Severe Mercy Guy is friends with uh, C.S. Lewis, Sheldon Vanakin something like that, um, and it's one of Alyssa's favorite books. It's very, very interesting, and it's a, a husband and wife going from being pagans, and they got married, but they really wanted the, I think he calls the shining barrier a barrier of their love, like nothing's going to get in the way, and, and nothing's going to tear us apart, and you know, if one dies, then, then I'll just make sure that basically I'll kill myself and go with you, and it's them converting to Christianity, and not to ruin the book for everybody, but this is also kind of on the front of the book of, about it being tragedy, in their 30s, his wife dies. And very tragically, um, you know, goes into the hospital. They can't figure it out. Something, something goes wrong, and um, very sad. It took him a long time. I mean, he grieved for a year, two years, and then he started to gain kind of that perspective of there's a reason because it's it's why would God allow this? How how could He allow right. my the love of my life to die? We were doing such good. She's such a good worker for the Lord. She's even more spiritual than me. How could you take her? And the perspective that he gained from it was invaluable. But did that perspective come in the first two weeks? Not even close. Did it come in the first two years? No, not really. It came years after. We don't do well with grieving in the church because we don't really know how to do it. Grieving is a process. Grieving does take some time, and it's not a linear process. You go through, yeah, there's the five stages of grief and such, but you go through these different processes. And for us in the church, we need to do a better job of just weeping with those who weep. Get on their level and feel sad with them. And to your point, Jack, I think it's it's good to have optimism, but it's, it's you know, as you're saying, there's a time and place to bring out well, the optimism, and that's not first thing.
0: Let me ask real quick, because we, we're going to move on to the next one here in just a second, but I, I want to nail down that phrase, weep with those who weep, because it can be very easy to say, it can be very easy to, to read or to hear, but I want to ask you guys, practically speaking, what, what does that mean? Because I think a lot of times we hear that, Weep with those who weep, and we think that that means go to the visitation service, maybe bring them a casserole. Those things are good. Don't get me wrong. But I think there needs to be a, a whole lot more to this idea of weeping with those who weep than, again, just kind of, man, I'm praying for you, brother. Let me know if there's anything I can do. You know what I mean? And so yeah. I think that's typically the the standard um, reaction anytime, you know, cause again, a lot of times we don't know what to do. Right. And so that, I guess if, if somebody's listening and has that question, okay,
2: practically speaking, yeah, weep with those who weep. What does that look like? How would you guys answer that? I think be a mirror first and foremost, when they're sad, be sad. Don't come in smiling. That's, that's the, the very basics, but you'd be surprised how many people get that wrong. Uh, again, they want to make things better. I think don't be a fix it Fox, be a mirror. They're sad, get sad with them. Um, there's times in place. I mean, if if somebody's sad about um, the fact that you know they didn't uh, they didn't win the Powerball, uh, yeah, maybe maybe not. But we're talking about serious griefs and serious sadnesses. Be that mirror for them where they go in. I honestly think Job's friends are some of the best in the Bible at this. For the first seven days, they don't say a word. They don't come in. They're and just try there to, with him. They're just there with them. They don't come in and try to make it. They, uh, then they do, and it is a disaster. But for the first seven days they came in and they just sat there with him and they cried with him and they were present. And that goes so far for those, because those who are going through grief, they don't know what they want. They don't know what they need. They may be in the anger stage. They may be in the denial stage. They may be in a lot of, a lot of different stages. The best thing you can do is, I understand. I I cannot imagine what you're going through. And I just want you to know I'm here for you and cry with them. You know, show that tear in your eye. Like, allow their emotion to be your emotion and be touched, genuinely touched by what they're experiencing and to shed a tear together. And for them to see that you care about their emotions, that goes so far, so far with people. They don't need you to come in and be the wise guru, be Confucius who tells them the one thing that's going to fix everything. First off, you're probably not going to, don't even try. Second off, even if you did, they need to feel the sadness because it's a human emotion. It's actually good Inside Out, if anybody's seen the uh Pixar movie Inside Out, fantastic movie. The whole point of the movie is we don't need sadness. It's like Just a movie for adults, really. Well, they used it, movie. they based it on internal family systems, which is a trauma um thing that we use in therapy that's brilliant. And they based it on that and it's pretty much Well, we don't need sadness. Sadness has, has ruined the entire you know, ruined our lives. So if sadness goes missing, who cares? And then the rest of the movie is like no we need sadness we really need sadness how can we feel happiness without sadness it's a brilliant movie the depth of inside out it's one of my favorite movies actually even as a kid's movie and like you said will it's not a kid's movie we need sadness don't so when sitting and weeping with those who weep don't rush them through it just be with them and cry with them jack
1: well so the job's friends thing you're you're highlighting there's it's called sitting shiva it's uh i'm probably pronouncing that wrong um but it is a cultural practice that you know uh jewish cultures had but a lot of cultures around the world had that of you realize and and uh you hear things like awake of you know you just kind of have people come over and and and, you know before you bury before you say goodbye or or even around that time you do it well we're in such an instantaneous fast food culture fast everything fast microwave is the term i'm looking for where everything has to be done immediately that all right, we're gonna have the visitation tonight for an hour, and then we're gonna have the funeral tomorrow for an hour, and then when, you know we'll have a graveside for twenty minutes, and then that's it, and let's let's move on. There'll be a family meal at the church building or whatever else. And then all right, that that's it, and we know, and everyone knows instinctively, all right, that widow, that family, that those people have to go home and live with this now. That's hard, okay. That's like, and so this I this practice of loved ones family friends just coming over and hanging out just being there and again don't show up with all your advice don't show up you know looking for the silver lining just be there um, I had a friend who went through a, a very horrible tragedy a, a loss in the family of you know a, a, the kind you just never want to have happen um, and it, it was exactly that. Is he? he just reached out and said look the house is open anybody who wants to come please do and people came from far and wide and you just show up and sometimes he wanted to talk. Sometimes he didn't, you know, uh, some, uh, you just sit there kind of like Job's friends. Other times it was just, let's talk about football. Let's talk about anything. Else. And you just let, like you said, mirror him, whatever he wants to do, whatever they need in that moment, be there for him. Um, as you said, sadness is a part of life. Uh, you know, Ecclesiastes gets into this as well. Better to go to a house of mourning than a house of, of feast or, or whatever the term he use is what I get when I quote verses off the top of my head. But, uh, yeah, so I, I don't know how much more we have on sadness. Will, have you had anything else before we go on to the next yeah, one? Yeah, I'll
0: get us in the next one. The only other thing I would say, because I am preaching myself here, I'm the world's worst at this, and that is actually pray for them. Don't be the guy that says, I'm praying for you, brother, and then never bring it before so God. So true. Uh, again, I, I've I been very guilty of that before, of you know, just because you, you think it's what you're supposed to say, right? oh, man, I'm, I'm really praying for you guys. And then you get home and... Doesn't cross your mind again. That's yeah. terrible. And again, that's something that I've done before. So that would be the only other thing that I would say. Let's get into the next one, though. Kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. Talk about happiness, uh, joy, and kind of the the difference there. And that's that's where I want to start before I hand it off to one of these guys. Our culture and our society is very much built around this idea of pursuing your own happiness, right? I mean, it's in our Declaration of Independence that we have a right to to pursue happiness and songs, movies are all about finding happiness and, and what what do you what can you do in your life to make yourself happy? And we're gonna talk about obviously the, the good side of that, but I I wanna start by addressing that I I firmly believe and we've discussed this before, that the world is really and the culture is doing our young people in the church a disservice in making them think that their entire lives need to be centered around finding their own happiness. And so that gets us into the distinction between this idea of happiness versus joy. And biblically speaking, there is a huge difference. The word happiness or happy, Old Testament, New Testament is mentioned a handful of times, not very many. Whereas joy or joyful is mentioned exponentially more in the New Testament specifically than happiness. And, and you know, joy is a fruit of the Spirit, not happiness. Uh, you know, it, it's something that that gets used a lot, and so that's that's where we want to start. Is there is a difference between joy and happiness, and so I'll ask you guys to get in on that in just a second. I'll kind of give my brief definition of the difference, and that is, happiness is something that can be very fleeting. It can be something that, that that is temporary. It's driven by things that are temporary. You think about your day. Are you are you happy the entire day? Some people are great. Probably not, right? Maybe your morning starts off rough, or maybe your morning starts out great, and then the reverse happens. Your afternoon comes, something happens. Happiness can be very fleeting, can kind of come and go. It's driven by external circumstances, whereas joy should be driven by what? Something more internal, something that's less fleeting, something that's more permanent. That's where we get into the fact that we as Christians are to have joy and are to show joy and are to live lives driven by joy because of the kind of internal blessing that we have of salvation. The world doesn't have that, and so that's, it makes sense that the only thing they're pursuing is is happiness and these these fleeting feelings of happiness. So that would be kind of my quick distinction between the two. What do you guys have to add?
1: it's really contrasts well with the sadness thing because that's why we are so averse to sadness is like, well, hold on, I'm supposed to be happy. I'm only here for 80 years if things go well. And man, I don't want to spend that time sad. I want to be happy. And we live in such a prosperous, affluent time that there really is this entitlement to be happy. And this thought that at all times I should be being happy. And if something's keeping me from happiness, that happiness is supposed to be the status quo. Where did we get that idea? And, I mean, it's good to be happy. And we want to be happy. And you hope that more of the time than not you are happy. But, I mean, you look at some of the great servants of God, Jeremiah, Elijah, uh, Isaiah, tough times, Ezekiel. uh, You know, Jesus, like his life, uh, I I know like some of the TV shows and all that like to depict him as very stoic. Others like to depict him as always with a smile on his face and cheerful and all that. It, It was a lot of hard work. It was a lot of, you know, not just... Oh, wake up and, you know, stretch real big with a big smile on your face. And now today's going to be great and I'm just going to coast through. Life is hard and that's okay. And because we are so happiness addicted that we think that has to be the basis of our life that we spend our whole life chasing it. And so you see how it creeps into marriages. This doesn't make me happy anymore. I quit. I'm out of here. Or you hear,
0: well, why why do you want to marry this person? Oh, because here she makes me happy. They make me happy. That's the answer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And um uh, just everything gets filtered through am i is this making me happy and cuz then not only that it, it is such a way to ruin your own life is to constantly ask yourself am i happy enough am i enjoying this enough um uh, you know like the, the fear the fear of missing out thing uh fomo of you know there's a song on the radio and i like this song but there might be a better song on another station so i'm going to like flip through it or you know i'm in a movie or or you guys have probably had this on vacation and you've got like three days left in the vacation. Time's running out, and it, you kind of start to get that panic of like, I've only got three days left. Am I getting enough out of this? Like, am I making the most of this? Because am I enjoying this, this, this enough? Is, yeah, I? this is my chance at happiness, and I got to go back to work. And I'm going to be miserable when I do that. Like, it's such a wrong approach to life. Happiness is something that God blesses us with. There's a lot there's in the Proverbs. Again, the, we got to do a really good job of mining the Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Job and Song of Solomon, all of those, because they are the human spectrum of emotion, there's a time to be happy, there's a time to be sad, and there's there's times for everything. But the time to be happy is not all the time. And so enjoy it when you have it, and when it's gone, realize it'll come back.
2: I think joy is, going back to your point, Will, um, you stole my thought on it, which is fleeting versus like permanent withstanding, right? Um, and the other part of it is I think happiness can be i'm with you jack i think it's important but i also think it can be cheap it can be something and i would almost look at it as i'd illustrate it this way it's kind of like if you're if you build your house and you're trying to put a bunch of furniture in it the easy thing to do is to go get ikea furniture right it's it's cheap it's easy it's fast um yeah, and and you'll get some furniture in there, and it's great, and it'll probably fall apart from time to time. And that's there okay. goes
1: our IKEA sponsorship. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> sorry.
2: I hey, hate. I got enough IKEA stuff in my house, so I don't. No hate on they it. They sponsor your house. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's all the happiness that I get. Um, <laughs> but I would say joy is you learning to craft something yourself that's going to a stand. You take a nice fine piece of oak. Does it take you a long time? Yeah. Does it cost you a lot? Yeah. Is it hard work? Yes. Will it last for so much longer? Yes. Well, this is our coming to to Christ and our going through the difficulties to find peace and to find joy in him is like, happiness is cheap. I could easily run to Ikea and get the quote unquote, same exact thing for cheaper and faster, but I know it's cheap and I know I got it too fast and I know that if I had put a little more work into digging into the scriptures, into putting into my prayer life, into putting into the saints... You know and and working with them and and talking with them about my struggles i know that i would find true lasting joy and it would be this beautiful piece of furniture that i could put in my house and the more you do this i think the easier it gets for you to build furniture in your house a lot of people go you know they choose the ikea they want something fast they want it immediate so they run to things like sex they run to things like toys you know cars and and electronics and everything else they run to they're sports teams. They run to a lot of different stuff. And this gets into, Jag, we're not going to get into it on this one because we want to do a full other one. But this idea of the cadulting that you've talked about, it's because we're trying to chase happiness in all of the things that used to make us happy as kids. We're not learning any skills to cultivate true joy that lasts and that is worth something.
0: And joy is so magnetic. Mm. It's one of those things that you just want to be around people that exude mm-hmm. this this joy regardless of what's going on in their life. And we we kind of beat up on the older generation sometimes in this podcast, maybe a little too much. But I do think that this is one of those areas where young people are looking around as they're trying to figure out, okay, what am I going to do with my faith for the rest of my life? And they see these congregations full of middle to older age people who just don't exude this this type of joy. And they're looking at it like, that's what I get to be in 30 right. years? No thanks. Let me go chase happiness instead. And so I, I do think that that's one of those things that we've discussed on several podcast episodes before, so I don't want to be dead, dead horse here, but that we've got to start figuring out why we aren't in in many places exuding an attitude of joy, not chasing happiness, not just being Mr. Smiley, go lucky, everything's great all the time, but to have true joy that again is a magnet for people, is a magnet for young people to say, I want to be like that, I, or somebody who's outside of Christ says, I want to...
2: What's the source of that joy? I want to. I want to live like that. That that's what we really need to be striving for. And I think the source of joy for Christians is promise. It's it's the promises of God and hope. Right? It, it's the and hope.
1: not not just you get to go to heaven when you die. I right, think right. Right. sometimes no. That sometimes really it gets reduced down to that, and it's like, well, that doesn't help me much right now. Right. Whereas the the promise is, you know, the verses this this is talked about a few times in the New Testament where it comes back around to. Why you can have joy, and this actually, I brought up a minute ago, the guy saying good at any trial that came his way, that is the the application of this. That is the proper application. That, don't say that to circumvent sadness, but when the, the sadness happens or when, when you're not happy all the time or whatever else, that's James chapter 1, uh, verses 2 through 4, where James just starts off his book that way. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials none of us when we hit a trial you again you lose your job you're sick your your car breaks down whatever it is goes all right this is this is what i was hoping for you know i i can't believe i get to go through this again like but why can you consider it all joy? Because the testing of your faith produces endurance. First Peter one talks about the same thing. Tried by fire, but you know your faith is going to be tested and prove more valuable than gold. And joy uh, inexpressible
0: is the yeah, phrase. Joy
1: inexpressible, it. like uh, Philippians four, the peace that passes understanding. Because you know you're coming through this, you're able to lean on God better. I mean, the New Testament just talks about this over and over and over. Uh, in fact. Uh, that's really what Philippians 4.13 is getting at, is you can get through anything because you got Jesus on your side, and there's great joy in that of knowing, I can't lose. But, again, we, we get joy and happiness confused, and so when something bad happens, we think, well, I'm supposed to be happy through this. No, you're not, actually. You can be sad in it. You know, Paul's saying, look, i got a thorn in the flesh, and I really don't like this. Please take it away, God. God said, no, okay, I'll find joy in it, because my his strength comes through my weakness. And so... Happiness and joy, we do have to separate the two. Appreciate happiness for what it is. Right. It's a treat, it's it's a, an emotion that we can enjoy from time to time, but don't feel entitled to it. And realize you can have joy all the time. You can have happiness sometime, and that's okay. If we mix those up or if, if we want the happiness all the time, we're setting ourselves up for great disappointment.
2: I think that's a, a great point. I think as as you were saying that happiness is kinda like the dessert. Joy is just the ability we get to eat. That, right. that withstands, you know, but happiness, we can't just eat dessert all the time. Um, as much as we'd like to. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right. as much as I do. Joe's <laughs> no, chasing happiness. <laughs> that's right, that's right, I'm chasing some good desserts. There's a lot of joy um, in that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. Yeah, I get both. Uh, let's move on to the last one that we are gonna discuss, and then we wanna get into some, some basic principles right toward the end um, concerning emotions, but this last one is the idea of anxious or, or fearful. We see a lot of scripture, be anxious for nothing, right? Put all in, uh, Putting all our anxieties on him. He cares for us. Look at the lilies of the field as Matthew 6, right? So we see a lot in scripture, and, and Paul gets to this as well in being anxious for nothing in Philippians 4, as we just referenced. Um, we shouldn't be anxious for the future. We shouldn't worry too much about it. At the same time, we do see Jesus in the garden. We see him sweating drops of blood because of what's about to happen. Now, he is doing what I think he should do, which is praying and giving it up to God and such. But I wanted to get into this because you have stress, you have anxiety, you have fear. Is there any time, I'll ask this to you guys, is there any time where those are appropriate or where it's okay to be stressed or worried about something? For instance, worrying about your kids, you know, your your let's say your wife is driving in a snowstorm behind you. You're really worried about their safety. You're anxious about their safety. Is that okay? Is that appropriate? Um, Or what do we do with that?
1: I think it's very much like anger in that it is natural and you are not wrong for feeling the natural thing. Step two is what am I going to do about it? Am I going to sit here and bite my nails and fret, you know, just completely be overrun with fear and and worry and and let that control my life and not trust in God? Or am I going to use that as an opportunity to lean on God? Uh, you know, I mean, Matthew six and the, the talk about the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. Of your father, he's watching over you. He cares about you. Um, you know, and and so seek first the kingdom. He'll handle the other stuff. You just do that. I mean, Philippians four comes back into it. Uh, I mean, there's there's so many verses, especially throughout the New Testament, about take that anxiety. But when you you look at the Psalms, you see David. I mean, like. Hey, they're all trying to kill me, Lord. What? What? You know, I'm I'm being chased from my life. I feel abandoned. I, I'm totally lost here. And so he feels that for a moment. And again, it's okay to feel that for a moment. Um, again, you can't do the good thing every time. You know, hey, my son Absalom just ran me out of the palace, and you know, like the whole country wants my head. Or Saul just threw a spear at me and almost pinned me against the wall, and now he's got all of his guys after me. And you know, boy, this is what I wanted.
2: Imagine what kind of man David could have been if he had a Jocko Willink or, yeah. you know, uh, one of these guys, <laughs> one of these masculinity gurus. That's it. Boy, he could have been a real man. That's
1: right. Sorry. Um, no, but it, it's a great point. so, but uh, what I love about those Psalms, and again, I, I'm just begging people, spend time in, in all five of those books. But what I love about the Psalms is every one of those where he starts off of... I'm scared for my life. I am i don't know where to turn. And, and not only that, but there's some of them where it's like, God, are you even there? Because it feels like I'm praying to nobody. It feels like I'm not getting a response. And every time he comes back around to, you were there for me last time. You've been there for me every other time. I know you're going to be there for me this time, but man, right now, it doesn't feel like it. Man, right now, I'm really, really worried about this. And and so, uh, you know, I think it's Psalm... Uh, Two or three, I I lay, probably three, I lay down and slept and I woke for the Lord sustains me. Um, You know, that uh, I can be okay. I can find peace in Him even if my natural physical response isn't peace. It's training ourselves to get a hold of our natural response and bring it back under God's rule. I, I think
0: it, a lot of it is, and, and you pretty much said this, but what are you doing with that anxiety? What are you doing with the thing that you're... I mean, we're, we're going to have stresses and things that, that stress us out in life. We're going to have job responsibilities. We're going to have things that Joe brought up the example with ki- raising kids is, is a you know, reason in of itself to maybe have a little anxiety at times about what are they going to turn out like or the you know how is this the first time they get behind the wheel by themselves you know stuff like that but uh, you know philippians 4 we brought up about cast those anxieties and cast those cares on him i think a lot of people can internalize those and really obsess over those and just spend all their time thinking without ever considering handing it over to god without ever considering taking it before him and to me that's what paul's saying in philippians 4 is not don't have anxieties not don't have fears but instead under keep the perspective of God is the one who's on the throne. You're a child of his, you're a servant. Does it mean that everything is going to 100% work out the way that you think it should all the time? No. But what it means is those anxieties and those fears need to be cast on him because he's got you in the palm of his hand. That's the consider the lily thing that you brought up. So that's the short way to, to kind of add to what Jack said. Joe, how about you?
2: No, I think, that's, I think that's fantastic. We get into, once again, when I say we, talking about therapists, get into grounding techniques. Um, a lot of anxiety is about what we call future tripping, where you're just fearing for things in the future. Anxiety is rooted in control. When you have no control over anything, and one of the reasons why we pray to God and we give it over to God is because we realize He is in control. But I would also say, if you're really struggling with that, if you're an anxious or worrying person, find the things that you have control over, um, and, and find the things that God has control over in your life, such as, hey, I still wake up in the morning. God has, and the sun still rises, God has shown that he is in control of all things. He's in control of this, and I'm giving that over to him. Um think of lamentations, right? His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Uh, and we sing that song and it's great, but think of consider the lamentations. Like that's really not good. Going, God, I don't feel like you and right before this in chapter two of Lamentations, like I don't even think you care about me anymore. And I don't to your point, Jack, and Jeremiah is really going through it, but he goes back to the promises of God of what God has in his control. So Find things you have control over. Use some grounding techniques. Breathing actually really does help just from a very practical perspective. Breathing does help, um, and for physiological reasons. But in through the nose, out through the mouth, right? Take a couple deep breaths. Um, This is why people hyperventilate, right? It's their body seizing. They don't really know what to do. Uh, And so their body kind of takes over and starts hyperventilating. Make sure you're getting oxygen to your lungs and to your brain. Make sure you're grounding and taking your head out of the anxiety clouds, bringing it into back to where it belongs, which is I'm okay in this moment. Rub your legs, put your feet on the ground, like ground yourself. That's why I call it grounding techniques. You ground yourself to where you currently are in the moment. Those things can help us stay, like kind of stay in control and stay present instead of fearing so much about the future. Ultimately, what do we do with it? We give it over to God because he is in control. And no matter what, what no matter what we go through, it is God's I think God can use it for his good, and he will use it for his good, because that's something that he has, he has promised us, Romans 8, 28. That hopefully helps us understand, yes, we can feel it in the moment, but we immediately run to, this is God's to handle, and I am God's vessel to do with what he wants. Um, any other things on that, fellas?
1: Yeah, well, we one other is we talk a lot about gratitude. I think we have brought it up on a number of episodes, and that's what David is getting at with those psalms of, he's always been there for me. Right. I know I can count on him, even if it doesn't feel like it this time. I'm thankful that, that he's there for me, and so the gratitude of I woke up to a new day. My, you know, I, I have people I know who love me, or I love them. I, I have a church family. I have my salvation. I have there's uh, like if and this is something I you know I teach my kids at the end of the day. Well, you know, sometimes my oldest will be grumpy going to bed. Well, what what is there to be thankful for today? Nothing. Okay, well, I guess tomorrow we won't, you know, watch your favorite show again. We won't uh, eat oatmeal for breakfast because it's your favorite breakfast. We won't do any of this. Well, no, I want to do that. Oh, so you're thankful for it? Yeah. Like, I mean, even the little things, even the just the basics right. in and out of every day of whatever it may be. I, you know, I, I had a, a warm shower. You know, I had a, a warm house on a cold night. I, I got a car. I got whatever it is. Keep it as simple as can be. You had
0: some hot chicken for lunch today. <laughs> yes, I did. I'm very <laughs>
1: thankful for that. Uh so it's the little things, though. It's Here's the what, little things. That's yeah. exactly it. Again, so does that overcome all the bad? No, but it says that there's good, you know, that, it, that it's not where it's very easy to be all or nothing. And that goes with the, the happiness pendulum thing, right? Either I'm happy and everything's going great, or I'm sad and it's not. On your happiest days, there's something you could probably fret over. On your most fearful days, there's something you could probably be happy about. It's it's about being that balanced person with joy at the core.
0: So I want us to get us into as we kind of get ready to wrap this episode some some key principles and a few other takeaways as we kind of hit the the emotions side of it. All four of those.
2: And let me say, we we do realize there's like. Look, I'm a therapist. We're, we're all here. More, sure. There's like a hundred emotions. We realized we didn't hit all of them. We were hoping to hit just you know some of the biggest ones that are struggles for Christians. Sorry, Will. Just wanted to no. Throw you're that out good, there.
0: absolutely right. But I, I want to. The first one I want to bring up is the fact that it, it has become, according to culture, something that is not masculine for men to show emotion. It, it's something that men shy away from showing emotion, and mm. you you pick an emotion. They don't. They don't show it. You know they don't want to get get too high and get too excited. That's kind of you know, you're not you're not cool. We've talked about that before yeah. with young men specifically with our godly young men podcast. That they don't they don't want to get too excited about anything because that's not cool. Um, but then also they don't they don't show sadness. They don't you know they just have to be these stoic men. And so I want to ask you two, what advice and again practical advice would you give to somebody who maybe. Maybe they bought into this idea that men are not supposed to show emotion. They're supposed to be the 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 rocks of the family that that never go any which way. They, they just stand firm. And again, part of that is true. But as far as the idea that you're never supposed to show sadness, you're never supposed to get uh, joyful or excited about anything. You're never supposed to feel anxious. What would you what would you say to somebody who has kind of bought into that mindset?
1: Well, I want to say there's there's kind of a pendulum thing here because that is kind of the older, classic, John Wayne, man's man kind of thing. And then we've got this... Uh, you know, as there's been the rise of therapy and all that, there has been very much, especially in the last ten to fifteen years, this push of it's okay for men to, to show their emotions. It's okay, and th- I think it's gone too far in some ways, and, and almost a glorification of it. And and you see this sometimes with uh, there's certain preachers, especially like big name ones. You know, you can look up you know their sermons on YouTube. They just cry almost every Sunday. It's mm-hmm. like my man, get a hold of yourself. Like there there <laughs> right, is there right. is a level of control needed, but the stoicism of full control that you never you know smile you never cry you never you, you know the same face all the time you know they've got kind of Chuck Norris jokes or posters like that of like his face never changes no matter what happens there is a, a very I mean again you, you David very much a man's man I mean killed giants killed lions killed bears like he the, nobody's gonna call David a wimp Right. But he was a very emotional man, a man that had that that full range. That doesn't mean he was crying all the time and no, he's just dancing
2: some. Yeah, I mean
1: he was dancing for joy, you know, with the the Ark of the Covenant and all that. Um, but I, I think he it, he knew the time and the place, and I think you know this kind of men should just spill their their guts all the time and basically be an open book all the time. I don't think that's what we're called to do. That's I'm,
2: emasculating in, in some ways. It I would very say. much is yeah.
1: because you, you just don't have control. Sure. I don't.
2: And I think that's it. Men are called to have control over their emotions. But I think we've taken that to the, again, the old, old kind of part of it is, well, that means I don't ever experience it because I have control over my emotions. No, Jesus also is another one weeping as you brought up, will in John 11, like he's, he's weeping there. Jesus shows emotions, but was Jesus driven by emotion? Right. No, he wasn't. He was driven by logic. He was driven by his, you know, what he was called to do, what he knew he was supposed to do. Did he feel emotion along the way? You bet. Absolutely. Was he wrong to do it? Does that mean he wasn't within control? He absolutely had control over his emotions, but he wasn't afraid of them either. And I think a lot of guys are afraid of what of what it means, Um
0: well you've got dads that were raised with that mindset that won't even hug their kids because oh, yeah. it's you know, that's too much emotion showing. That's what we're talking about there is the kind of the negative side.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's both sides. I think this is why it's so difficult to be a man currently. Uh first off, you're hated by a lot of people because everybody is, is pushing men down. Men aren't really needed. What what are men good for? Anything you can do, I can do better. And then you have this where you either go from dads who showed no emotion and you get this like the guy's coming back from war. Um, never talked to their kids about their experience, never showed any of it. So they had two emotions. They were either okay, not even happy per se, just okay, or they were angry. And that's it. That's the range of their emotions. They couldn't show anything else. And we know that they had all sorts of things that we can't begin to imagine that if they could talk about it, if they would have talked about it, it would have helped, but that's not what men do. We kind of hold it to ourselves. But then, to your point, Jack, we have the, well, no, we just need to, you know, it's okay to, to cry all the time, or it's okay to just kind of live vicariously through whatever and, and allow your emotions to take control of everything and make sure that you're not shutting up your emotions. I agree. emotion should come out, but at what point are we being driven by that emotion? or what point are we allowing that emotion to be the focal point of who we are? Well, there's and Man, that can't be the case. There's
1: three words I, I think you can reduce it down to is... Uh, vulnerability is viewed as a positive thing. And I think those that, that skew more towards more emotion think, well, it's vulnerability. I'm showing I'm not, I'm not trying to be perfect. I'm not trying to be in control all the time. And there's a good impetus to that. The other side will view that over-emotionalism as weakness. So vulnerability, yep. weakness, and, and they're right about some of that too. I mean, there is a weakness of a man that's always weeping and bowled over by everything that happens. Nobody can look to him. His wife can't look to him and be like, man, when when things get bad, he's, he's the guy I can count on. What biblically we have, and a, a Jesus is our perfect example, is tenderness. Mm-hmm. Tenderness means you are a, a tough, rock-solid man who knows in that it's there's a time to cry. Will brought up earlier John 11. It was His friends are really hurting. It was time to cry. He looks over Jerusalem and realizes this place is all going to be destroyed in the next 40 years, and a lot of these people are going to die horrible deaths, and I love these people. And I don't want that to happen. And so he's crying over them. On the other hand, it's the same Jesus who... The same day drove people out of the temple, yelling at them of "No, we are not doing this in here." And so, you know, he didn't go in there and cry and go, "Guys, please, please get out of here." Like, so as a man, you need the tenderness. And Paul talks about, you know, I, I took you under my wing like a mother with you know, the same similar t- terminology to what Jesus uses. And so, the tenderness comes from a place of strength. Is that you look like you're hard as a rock, but you've got a, a little bit of a soft side that your wife and your kids are going to see, and, and, and that the good vulnerability, but not full vulnerability. You're not a square of jello. You, you still have that hardness of a rock that people can count on. So, again, don't swing too far into vulnerability that it becomes weakness, but have the tenderness, I think, would be the right way to put that.
2: I, yeah, I would say strength, vulnerability, and authenticity. Be strong be vulnerable but be authentic in it and that's the other part of it is in this culture I think there's especially for the younger there is kind of like you win the lotto it, the more you in it, its intersectionality I think is the term if you the show more oppressed you are like the more it, oppressed you are and so you show your weakness and you show your you kind of wear your emotions on your sleeve mindset. and it's a victim mindset and there's something so inauthentic about it like you're just trying to game the system be authentic with your emotions. This is Jesus. This is David. The ones we're talking about are, they're absolutely authentic with it. They're crying out to God or, or Jesus is crying over Jerusalem. Like there is an authenticity, but there is a strength, but there is a vulnerability and all those things are, I think they come together to create. Interestingly, as a side note, when in, in work with sex addiction, uh, one of the things we talk about, we call it an intimacy disorder. And intimacy is defined as vulnerability plus authenticity. That's what a lot of men lack, is the ability to be vulnerable with others and the ability to be authentic and putting on this front of nothing ever fixed me. You know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, words really hurt. They can really, really hurt. They can leave wounds. They can leave lasting scars. i work with guys in their 70s that their dad said something when they were seven and they remembered it into their 70s. These things hurt be authentic, be willing to show that, but that can't be the driving force behind our lives. So that's the first principle is just make sure we're getting masculine emotion, right? It's okay to feel emotion. It's okay to let that stand. The second thing I would say is base your emotions in God, not people. When our happiness, when our joy, when, when the things that um, get us out of bed in the morning are solely our spouse or our kids or somebody else, that puts a lot of pressure on them actually. Because all our happy emotions, all our positive emotions are based in them. That's not fair because the moment that they let us down, there goes the happiness, there goes the joy, there goes all the positivity. That's not fair. That's that's not fair to them, but it's also not good for you to have your emotions based in something that is fickle something that can change something that is malleable Um, we need to have our emotions based in God he never changes that's why the anxiety and everything we're talking about the sadness and the anger and the happiness and the anxiety and the things that we're saying are all coming back to have you based those appropriately in God are you going to God with the tough ones are you finding ultimate joy in God because if it's in anything else you will be disappointed and it will only lead to further frustration
1: I think that brings us to one other thing we want to talk about is the emotions in the walk with God. Um, We we had another thing on our outline, but I think we kind of got to it of dealing with spouse, kids, coworkers, whatever else. Um, But in your emotions with God, being real with God. Uh, I mean, you see in the Bible, even David, angry with God sometimes. Uh, Moses at at times, you know, just kind of... And you, you, you maintain the reverence, but, you know, a frustration with God, why did you do that? You know, when Uzzah touches the Ark of the Covenant and is struck dead, David is not happy with God. You know, but you have to keep at the back of your mind and all these things. God's right and I'm not. So the ultimate problem here is with me, but still, I don't understand this. And, and I think, you know, a lot of the deconstruction stuff uh, that you uh, read, and we're going to have an episode on this at some point, of all these people that have their stories of why they walked away from the faith, it is a moment of, I, I can't understand a God who would dot, dot, dot. You know what? It's okay to be angry with God to uh, for a point. I mean, if you walk around angry with God, it's going to lead to you falling away. But, you know, saying, why why was it this way? I mean, you, and, and with Job. I mean, again, going back to Job, why? Why did you let this happen to me? And he, you notice, you get to the end of Job, he doesn't get an answer.
2: Right. It's one of the most frustrating things about Job. Well... We get to know a little bit of what's going on, but it's that,
1: frustrating from our point of view, right? Because we want to know, but it, it's also a reminder of that's kind of the point. You're of the book. not me. You're not yeah. God. You, you don't know? get to know everything, right. Yeah, yeah right. and it's okay. And in the same sense, you know. Again, sorry. Shout out to my kids. I'm, I'm using them as an illustration a lot. There's, I mean, I get the question, why five hundred times a day? Why? Why? <laughs> why? And you know, as long as they're being obedient, I try and uh, you know humor that and, and explain stuff to them. But there's times where it's like.
0: Because I said so. <laughs> well,
1: not even that so much. of just like, look, this is over your head, and I'm, I'm not going to explain it to you. Sure. You sure. know, like, th- this is not for you. Yeah. I-, I use that term a lot. It's not for you. And that's really what God tells Job. It's not for you to know. Yeah. And so we can be frustrated with God and all that. And, but Job didn't curse God and die like, uh, you know, his his wife told him to. And so these emotions with God, there's anger. um, Man, fear of God is a whole other big thing. Um, I don't. We don't even have time to go into the full thing. We are going to do a, a "Who Let the Dogma" episode on that here in a couple weeks. Uh, so be keeping an eye out for that. That podcast is coming back soon um, because fear of God is a whole thing that Christians misunderstand. Um, any other emotions? toward I think you know, joy. Taking joy in our relationship with God. Anything you guys want to add to this? Not just being stoic in our relationship with God.
0: Well, we had something on there about keeping your emotions bottled up and and that that applies more so to not just God, but to, to really everything. And the one thing that I'll say on that note is that's one of the reasons for those of you who are listening, who are married, that's one of the blessings of having a spouse that you can share you don't have to keep it all bottled up you don't have to just kind of internalize and just go throughout your day and just have to deal with it uh, theoretically at least you should have somebody right there alongside you who you can share in those emotions share with them yeah i'm really frustrated and here's why or hey i'm really excited and here's why and so that would be one other encouragement that i would give to those who are married is that use that blessing that is that god has given you if you're dealing with something and you're uh, just really frustrated you're angry, even. Don't bottle it up, share it with your spouse, you know, share it with close friends, whatever it is. I know us three guys do that quite a bit. We share with each other and that kind of speaks to the vulnerability point that Joe was talking about, but bottling up your emotions is never a good idea. And that's kind of been a central theme throughout this entire episode, but that was the only
2: other thing that I had to add. Yeah, no, find somebody. If you don't have anybody, you say, well, my spouse doesn't, I can't, uh, they, they don't accept my emotions. Maybe that's something to work through. And if that's why there is things like couples therapy, but also, um, if, if it is a well yeah nobody really does matthew matthew 18 with their spouse though i think there's biblical grounds for if they are just kind of running you down and don't allow for any of your emotion in the marriage that's not okay as far as it goes with the relationship with god bring that into prayer bring that into worship we started with that oh happy day are you kidding we start singing that, and, it's, and I Joe said always guy.
0: says he's never going to sing on the
2: podcast. Well, here we go. Oh man, I'd, yeah, it's not good. But that's I mean, how everybody else sings it too. Out, not I good. Think
1: that was quality trolling. Whoever wrote that to write a funeral dirge and call it "Oh Happy." Yeah, Day. that's so <laughs> true. Like
2: I can't stand that. And I, hey, I fall into this as well. I'm not Mr. Jovial. Just either. kind of mouthing the words, but yeah, we and, mouth yeah. the words, and you look around. And everybody just kind of looks like somebody shot their dog, and like <laughs> again, we see the Ark of the Covenant come back and. What do we see David doing? He's he's leaping, he's jumping for joy, he's dancing. He is pumped. Like that's what we get every Sunday when we come to partake of the body and the blood of Christ. He is the tabernacle, right? Like, or he is he is the ark of the covenant. Like, there's there's this aspect of we ought to be pumped and prep on Sunday nights. Be ready emotionally to come before God, not just intellectually. Saturday You Go to church on Monday whoops yeah sorry. i'm a eighth day adventist <laughs> no, no. Day. <laughs> just kidding. Not first day not adventist it wouldn't i guess it, yeah. wouldn't it be year ninth yeah you're, i don't know i don't even know i don't it depends on who you're going you just by know it's a happy day I, it's <laughs> but but not too happy right. yeah um a joyful day there you go and that's more lasting um but i would say make sure you're prepping yourself emotionally in your worship and when we come before god be willing to go through those emotions in prayer weep with God, cry out to God, right, in in those things. Don't just make it all academic. It's very easy to make our Christianity academic. We're afraid of, well, spirit and truth, you often hear that. We don't want to be too spirit-filled. Define that, right? That's, yeah, sure. But we can swing that pendulum to we don't feel any
1: emotion. I think what you're saying is Feeling you're a human. Your relationship yes. with God should be as a human, yes. not as, a, Textbook. as, as re- a religious following robot.
2: Right. Right, so. so that's the last thing I would say. But um, we we do appreciate you guys listening. We hope that this has been uh, an encouragement, especially let us know. Send us some comments, whatever it may be. Uh, maybe if there's enough emotion that you would like us to touch on that we didn't touch on, um, let us know. And maybe we have a part two to this somewhere down the road if, if that's something that you guys would like. But either way, fellas, anything else you'd add?
1: I want to throw a, a plug out there for uh, my new... Uh, Substack blog, churchreset.substack.com. Uh, I've got my next book coming out with Focus Press later this year, and uh, that site is going to be kind of like the uh, the test ground for it, like putting ideas out, putting articles, and eventually putting the chapters on there. Uh, and so I've had a great response on that. I want to let you guys know about that. Um, Good stuff. Uh, I mean, every week we're doing all kinds of stuff. The Think Fast Lives we talked about Thursday night, 7 Central. Men's um, groups are coming up. Joe's men's groups He's, dropping he's soon. reaching out to those that uh, have been... Interested in that? The gym podcast every week. Godly young men. Um, Man, there's so much going on at Focus Press, and so um, yeah, make use of all that uh, for sure. And and uh, if you will, we we more than anything, reviews. If you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe. Podcast reviews, whatever else. Tell a friend about it. uh, Gets the word out. Uh, If 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 you find an article, you find a podcast episode that you you enjoyed and helped you a lot, post it to your Facebook. Post to your Twitter. Uh, let people know man that that helps more than anything and if
2: you want to send us a few bucks for the work that we're doing you know then and the donation (laughs) we're not going to complain about that either well that'll give us a moment of happiness maybe even some joy we've got to replace those ikea dollars (laughs) exactly (laughs) somehow
1: all right yeah i want to throw those plugs in at the end uh, but i don't think there's anything beyond that so we'll be back next week man thanks for listening